0: living abroad more specifically teaching abroad it gives you insights about the nation that you may not have looked for it gives you insights to family dynamics it gives you insights to cultural dynamics and today joining this conversation is Elliot Moore a man who's been abroad in multiple countries and is going to give you some insight on the expat life let's go On today's episode of Voices, uh, I have a good friend on, his name is Elliot Moore, and we're going to talk about specifically teaching abroad and the effects it has on you. And I'm specifically talking about you because most of the audience is an American audience, but I think this can apply to anybody who leaves their country and goes to another country to teach and the possible effects you could have. Elliot, thanks for being on today. I appreciate you being here, man. Hey,
1: thanks, Lewis, for having me.
0: It's it's been been a while. I know uh, just for a little background for the people we talked together uh, a year or two in um, North Carolina. It was a great experience. We did uh, obviously professional stuff and we did social stuff with other teachers and it was really cool. So um, I don't think anyone can give a a background or a plug for someone better than themselves. So what would you want the people to know about you specifically as we enter this uh, conversation?
1: Well, uh, I've been teaching overseas for the last seven years uh, was working as, as Lewis said in uh, with him in North Carolina uh, started doing that back in 2007 and just really really liked teaching overseas. Uh, could do a lot more than you know I, I could in the states, and the lot more being just travel, seeing things, and new experiences that have been really great. Uh, right now, I'm teaching at the International School of Ningbo, and uh, so wonderful there.
0: That's awesome. So, in your experiences, uh, just to give a little background, uh, you've taught in the United States, you've taught in South America, specifically in Bolivia and you're currently in China. What was the inspiration to say, you know what, I'm going to go
1: do this somewhere else? Well, the inspiration uh, for me was from my parents. Uh, They started teaching in Egypt back in 19, I think, 76. And from there, uh, I was with them for a little bit when they were teaching in Kuala Lumpur. And then they taught for about uh, I want to say 14, 14 years in um, with a company in Saudi Arabia called Saudi Aramco. And just by being with them as they taught overseas, I, I kind of fell in love with both teaching and traveling.
0: That's awesome. And, you know, it, it's interesting because uh, as a youth, did you uh, did you really know like what what your your parents were doing as far as like the connections and uh, the, the life they were making for you?
1: Oh, well, I did, I mean, they e- expressed very clearly that, you know, we're leaving um, the US to teach abroad so that we can give a better life for you and your brother. Uh, one of the conversations that I heard my dad and mom talking about was uh, his summer job, which was painting houses. And he told my mom flat out, he said, Glenda, I'm worried. I make more money painting houses in 3 months than I do the entire 9 months I'm teaching. And that was wow. one of the reasons why he decided to to leave. He was a very he held very strong to teaching and and wanted to, you know, educate and he just felt like overseas was the best way that he could provide a life for, you know, the family and also do what his passion is and that was teaching.
0: That's awesome. So the uh, the next thing that I actually think about, because you, it sounds like you have some foundational things from your parents. But what is the mindset that you felt like you had to have to say, all right, I can teach abroad because teaching is sort of uh, uh, infusing yourself in culture through a child's eyes and through the, um, the family's eyes. Plus, you're dealing with culture. And that is normally uh, necessary to understand to be an effective teacher. So w- what was your mindset? Well, I
1: like that you mentioned the, the child mindset. Um, as a teacher, you know, I, I firmly believe that we're lifelong learners ourselves. I mean, we, we teach kids and we need to be able to understand how learning's evolved. Um, right now we're in, you know, the computer generation. And so when you do believe you need to be able to make adjustments you know you can't be stuck in your your own rigid way of well this is how i've always done something and i'm going to continue doing it when i'm somewhere new
0: and and that's really cool so the thing about it was let's 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 go in through a little bit of a timeline both of us kind of did a social studies thing for a little while so the timeline is you go to bolivia
1: and did you choose bolivia i did i did uh it was you know kind of one of those things I was with um uh I was at a, a New Year's party and someone had suggested that Bolivia was a wonderful place and I apply for jobs using uh, uh tie online. That's the, the where I, I do find my jobs at. And the very next day there was a, a listing for uh, a job at the the Santa Cruz Cooperative School. So I applied and that's how I got my foot in the door teaching internationally.
0: And that's awesome. So, so what was, what was the, the experience like, just sort of a quick synopsis of being in Bolivia? Because you were in Bolivia for how long?
1: I was there for three years. And
0: what, what would you say was sort of your, your uh, overall uh, um, assessment of life as a teacher in Bolivia? Because we'll talk about cultural things a little bit later, but just life as a teacher.
1: Well, I, I felt like I was in a, an elevated status there. Um, I was making more money than the majority of uh, the, the locals. And it was just a, a unique experience. I was able to, to travel and do things that I couldn't do in the States. And I really, you know, in, enjoyed that the culture that was there. You know, you, you get there, you get a little culture shock. And then once you find and figure out what's going on, it's just amazing. That, that's
0: that's beautiful. So then you were in Bolivia for for three years, two two or three years, three, three years, years. Yes, so you were in three years, and then you go to China. So like that feels like that's a serious sort of culture uh, exchange that you took. So what what led you to go to China next?
1: Uh, well, that's kind of a. Bittersweet story, but mostly it was just wanting to, you know, go out and see something different. You know, you you'd been in a country for a while, you'd gotten to the the feel, the lay of the land, and there's just something that that wants to have you go e- and explore elsewhere. And so uh, I was offered a job in Egypt, and. Uh, contract wasn't right. There was a disagreement between what was written on the contract and what was actually uh, presented to me. And so I turned that job down and I ended up getting a job at the International School of Ningbo. I talked with the director. The director was just the most down to earth, honest person, tons of integrity. And I felt like I made the better of the two decisions moving to China as opposed to Egypt. And that's awesome. So the city
0: you were in in Bolivia was Santa Cruz, that's is that correct. right? And in uh, China, you're in Ningbu. And what is Ningbu close it's to? It's very close to, to Shanghai. It's about
1: almost two hours south of uh, Shanghai on the fast train.
0: Okay. And so you're currently in, uh, in China uh, teaching and you're, you're returning this coming year. So tell me a little bit about that experience as far as a teacher experience, because, again, we'll come into the uh, culture stuff a little sure. bit later.
1: Well, it's it's wonderful. Once you've been in a in a uh, a school for a while, it's kind of like you know you're there. You've experienced, and you can help the the new teachers come in. And that's that's I think one of my favorite things in the world is to see new teachers coming in, helping them you know get up on their feet and kind of move and figure out how to do things. And just the camaraderie of you know everyone comes back. You share your summer adventures and stories, and it just kind of restores that passion of you know why you you taught internationally.
0: That's that's awesome. And so the the, the big question is: is um, you've been out of the United States for this sounds like about uh, going on six years. Why do you continue to do it?
1: Well, it's something I. It was in my blood, to be honest with you, Lewis. I think I've been outside of the States more than I've been in it. And it's just really fun uh, to see all the different cultures come together. Uh, There's a a decent-sized expat population in Ningbo. And just being a part of that, you know, getting to, to see everyone's different perspectives and ways of doing things. And just looking around and being like, you know, what I've learned isn't the best in the world might not be the worst in the world, but maybe if I take someone else's idea and kind of play around with, with what my norms and uh, culture is, we can get something beautiful out of it. And that, that's what I think I like the most is just that diversity and blending.
0: That's awesome. you know, it's interesting because the United States, uh, and it's sort of ancestral roots is diverse in itself, but I guess there are moments where it doesn't necessarily feel terribly diverse. So with, with, with that, the next thing I'm going to ask because of the diversity and how to deal with student populations, uh, in the international locations, the student populations tended to be sort of, uh, the same, so to speak. So how do you, um, how do the school systems abroad that you've encountered compare to what you uh, have experienced in you, the, the foreign locations you've been.
1: Well, the the two schools that I've been at, uh, it's a large uh, local population is what's in there. There are private schools, but there's a majority of the the nationals that are there. So when you know I was in Santa Cruz, it was a, mostly Bolivians, and in uh, Ningbo, it's mostly Chinese.
0: Okay. And so as far as the, um, the systems in itself, uh, a couple of points that I'd like for you to compare, because you were a teacher in the States, because some people leave the States, they never encountered a, the school system themselves, because a lot of international teachers were not teachers in the States. So you actually have sort of the, uh, the inside of comparing systems. And so uh, there's a couple of points and systems that I want to ask you about and, you know, just kind of give your opinion based on your experiences. So, like, the first one is, how would you compare the the three systems in terms of sort of uh, teacher pay? And you don't have to give, like, numbers, but just sort of your opinion of, like, how they're paid.
1: Hmm. Well, um, my current position, I think, pays the best out of the the ones that I was in, but if you look at it, you know, it's what the economy is in the area you're at, and how uh, what how you're getting paid is. Like for instance, uh, the, right now I'm getting paid in an RMB, and for every one RMB, it's I'm sorry, for every one dollar, it's six point seven, six point eight RMB. Yeah. So yeah. Uh, right. In terms of what I can do with that, I can do a lot more with that in China. Uh, as opposed to if I was paid that amount in the United States. Okay. And the same thing was like that in Bolivia. Uh, my salary was lower, but I could do very well and you know, travel, uh, get what I needed. And everything was fine. What I guess I'm getting at is I can't do those things in the U.S. with the salary that's there. The standard of living that I have would, is, is a lot lower here even when I was getting paid in U.S. dollars at, uh, you know, the school we were both working at.
0: Okay, well, that's fair. So now the next level is is the, the teacher respect, because uh, when, you, when you, you do a job, you want to feel a degree of respect for your efforts. And obviously, you deal with the student, parent and administration population. For the three different systems, United States and Bolivia and China, in your experiences, how do you feel like the level of respect was for teachers in in the each system?
1: Ah, uh, great question. Great question. I'd have to say that respect wise, China's probably they they rate teachers and education very highly. And so there there is a certain amount of uh, respect when I say, "Yeah, I, I, I teach at such and such school," and I've not experienced that really in the other two. You know, uh, in South America, yes, I was a teacher. Uh, I was able to do more, but at the same time, it was not as you know a, a prestigious position. I feel uh, in the states. Unfortunately, in the states, I was still kind of a young teacher. So, um, my, I guess with teachers in the states, you know, you've got all sorts of ranges from teachers who are just starting out trying to figure it out to those older teachers who, you know, do get more respect and can hold more sway.
0: All right, and that's that's. I think that's fair. And so, well, are there any other like standout issues that you saw, like system? wide or that stood out in the systems of the united states or in china or in bolivia that you're like
1: hey man that really stood out i appreciate those things well i'd say the administration Um, if you are at a school where the administration has your back uh, and supports the teachers i mean it's it's just a win-win for everybody Um, if the administration doesn't support the teachers then you know it's kind of cheapening the education i feel um if a parent understands that well you know the administration doesn't like this teacher or something's not with them chances are that teacher's not going to be there for much long but if the administration does support you and makes you feel comfortable your teaching just goes straight through the roof you know you, you you feel empowered and confident to present great lessons and do good things that, that's awesome.
0: So um, dealing with that, like what what are the differences that you saw or maybe and the similarities in academic standards? Because obviously, North, uh, North Carolina had standards and United States has their standards and China and Bolivia all have standards. What did you see about the standards that kind of stood out to you as well?
1: Well, I guess that goes to the direction that the school wants to go in. Um, in the United States. I wasn't really a part of it too much to, you know, do things. I was uh, a new teacher, getting my feel for things. But when I went down to uh, Bolivia, they promoted uh, PD, and I was able to get into a a cohort for my masters, uh, and that was through the SUNY uh, Buffalo uh, out of New York. Okay. And I I really like that. You know, they helped uh, pay for my master's degree, helped get me going. And then when I was in um, China, the school was really pushing to be excellent. Uh, They've only been around for five years. And in that five years, we were able to get uh, WASC accreditation. And we were also able to get a, a regional distinction. And at the moment, we're the only school in Ningbo who, have, who can offer our students both of those. With the WASC accreditation, they can get a Chinese um, certification for high school, and then they can get a U.S. equivalent with uh, recognition by WASC.
0: That's awesome. So for the students, that kind of gives them sort of a, a little bit of a bridge to if they want to go to a university stateside, they can, yes, right? Yes, absolutely. Oh. That's awesome. So uh, with that, what what would you uh, what about the United States would you bring to as far as like teaching uh, mannerisms or standards, would you bring to the locations you were in in Bolivia and China?
1: Probably the discipline. Um, I find U.S. schools are they have great discipline systems. They're very structured. And uh, without those, I don't think the schools would function. Uh, I'm I get faulted for kind of being a disciplinarian a lot, but uh, I also do boarding school, and my high school background was in boarding school, and so when you're at a when you're at when you live at the school, you you tend to understand that there are rules and things you can and can't do, and so as a teacher coming from the U.S., I brought that to both Bolivia and in China, and it's kind of ironic because. When I was in South America, the discipline was very loose, very loose. They kind of looked at me a few times and says, "What? Why do I have to do that?" And I'm like, "Well, I don't know. Isn't that the rules?" Was what I was going off of, but it <laughs> turns out that those rules, and the rules that I went by, were two different things. So eventually, we, we got we came to an understanding of each other, and the the same thing was in China, except. I wasn't having to be as strict uh, disciplinarian, you know, the students at uh, the international school of Ningbo are, are there to learn. Uh, not that they aren't in South America, but they just have this mindset that, well, my mom and dad are paying for the school for me. They want me to do well. And it's my obligation to to do that for them. And so yeah. no, go ahead. No, go ahead. No, go ahead. Oh, and just, when we do have you know butting of heads or things like that it's usually because they were maybe late to coming back from a vacation and i I had to sit with them for a half day detention just just those little things that i I think as since ningbo since the international school of of ningbo is a new school we're learning as we go with it and so um once we get things smoothed out with what we do and, and don't do with the boarding program that those won't be an issue anymore.
0: Awesome. That's brilliant. And so uh, my, my next thing is, so what, what could be improved about teaching abroad? Because I mean, obviously there's no system that's perfect. So uh, based on the fact that you've been able to be in different locations that are sound pretty different, uh, what could be improved or you would like to see improved for international uh, um, teaching abroad? Well,
1: you know, it, it is what it is. Um, uh, Lewis, you can't change that some schools are better than others, that some, you know, look after their teachers. But what I can recommend is for teachers to be informed, to kind of rally together uh, and, you know, let people know, hey, this school is not what it should be. Or, yeah, this school's amazing. Please come here. And I think one of the best ways teachers can do that is to go on websites like the International School Review and just do their research before they uh, before they go and sign contracts.
0: That's that's brilliant. And you actually uh, helped me create the segue that I was uh, about to do for uh, managing your personal and professional relationships. So talking about just on the personal side, now we can talk more culture. Uh, because it, I, I believe the community inside of the, the, the school, when you have expat teachers, you kind of are, you become friends sort of by uh, proxy. So how have you uh, managed sort of to make your personal and professional relationships uh, go into social activities for you?
1: Well, that, uh, that's kind of a, a dodgy area, I feel. Yes, some schools do it better than others. When I was in um, Santa Cruz Cooperative School, there was that kind of community where you could go out, you could um, uh, you, you could go out and it was more of a social scene. In Ningbo, it, it's not so much. Uh, when we're with teachers working and teaching, it's, it's business, business, business. And then teachers, when they go out, um, they have their own cliques and groups that are outside of the school.
0: Okay. And so that, that's actually leading to my next question with social interactions. Like what things or what new things have you learned about the social interactions that you had in Bolivia and in China that helped you sort of uh, uh, settle yourself more easily and more quickly in your new life?
1: Well, I depended more on teachers um, in Santa Cruz Corporate School since that was the first school I'd been at. You know, I didn't know any better. I didn't know that Uh, it was it's very good to make friends outside of the school because, you know, you do have to have that professional, uh, that professional appearance. And so. When. I got to China, I was able to just keep those personal relationships and keep them there. And then uh, I, I had my social uh, relationships with people who weren't at the International School of Ningbo but were also expats, which was which was, was great. You know, I, I could enjoy talking about other things outside of work, and that, that kind of was a nice little uh, pressure release valve because I found a lot of times when I was in uh, – the Santa Cruz Cooperative School with teachers from the school that was what our conversations tended to be tended to gravitate towards well they were more work orientated rather than you know well let's go to this hiking place or let's go uh eat at this restaurant we tend to stay at home play cards and just kind of you know talk shop a lot
0: okay and so what things did you do to like meet expats because I I can understand being a new person in a place these are, this is the only social circle you have. Uh, how do you go from there? Because just to kind of to piggyback my own personal situation, when I went abroad, I went with a program and we met all the people first and we kind of interacted socially first. And then we all were in different schools. And then when we went into schools, we were professional with the teachers we co-taught with. But we always had that social circle outside of the school. And since I've gone to a different school, I moved to a different city and I didn't know anyone there. Uh, my My circle wasn't really the school teachers because, similar to what you said, I'm not a big fan of talking shop outside of school. So I would just kind of take myself into the streets and try to find out where people were. So, like, how did you find the expats?
1: Well, this is what blows my mind. It was through uh, social media apps. One of the largest ones in China is WeChat. And so it started out by me just kind of having the, the teacher one, the the ISN WeChat group. And then from there, I was able to pop on to another one, which was a, a sales group. And then from the sales group, I was able to meet a board gaming group. And then that's where things really took off. Uh, through meeting those people who played board games, uh, I got into a and d group. And I got into a, uh, yeah. And so that was it just having that little starting point, but it not be necessarily face to face with each other. It was through a, a social media app.
0: And, and that's really interesting because there's, uh, there's some who are critical of social media. I, I can see the, the uh, downside, but I actually see more of a plus side to social media because uh, as long as you understand your purpose of it, then I think it makes it easier for you. So uh, as far as like doing things, right? So one of the first things I know I encountered being abroad was money and currency exchanges. And so you're going out with your, your expat friends. How did this sort of dealing with international cultural um, culture, but specifically money exchange, for instance, in South America, you may have run into it where uh, you go to a restaurant, you're in a group, and they put the tip on there. But some people take tips or see tips as an insult so how did you deal with things kind of along that nature with dealing with money
1: oh it was hilarious when i was first in china i I did try to tip and they would come running out of the restaurant to give me the tip and said no 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 and so that was kind of like oh okay but you know after you get used to that you realize that, well, you know, they're being taken care of. It's in their salary, so I don't have to add tip or gratuity to it. And that that took a little while to get used to. I felt bad because I've always been used to tipping and things like that. Uh, South America, you do tip. The U.S., definitely you tip. But in China, no. You don't tip. And and
0: One of the things that I've experienced is, and this is sort of, again, going out with groups, Going to movies, so being in South America, there was some theaters who had specific days where they would show movies in English with uh, the other language subtitles. How did you sort of deal with uh, consuming media uh, in in foreign places? Well,
1: it's interesting. In China, there's no – well, you can't get on Facebook. Uh, Google's a no-no, and there's a bunch of other websites that you can't get into. And so I had to learn to use a, a VPN if i wanted to get on facebook or um what's the other one i use i can't remember off instagram yeah so to to do those you had to get on a a vpn and um that was a a change for it but in terms of movies china is a very large consumer of movies in fact a lot of movies that uh air in china air before they air in the states and so Naturally, they have English subtitles. Uh, no, sorry. They have Chinese subtitles, but are in English mostly. Uh, Chinese film is wonderful. They've got great movies and things like that. Uh, I've not gotten to see them firsthand, but I have heard. And um, yeah, that, that's about it. I've, I've gotten to heard and, and, and seen or not seen a few, but heard that they do have a very good cinema. And, and it,
0: that actually goes to l- lends itself to the next thing is language. I mean, I know like my motivation for, for going out of the United States was to learn Spanish. And people say, well, you can learn Spanish in the United States, but there, you can always kind of cheat in the United States and go back to your native language. Now, language learning is, uh, I think, is an acquired skill. So w- what have you done for, uh, as far as sort of learning language for yourself? Because going from Spanish to Chinese. Wow. That just that just feels like it's a a, a, a progression that people would might might be afraid. Well, of.
1: we can take it all the way back to when I was in high school. Actually, even before that, when I was with my parents in the, the Middle East, I was exposed to uh, Arabic and had tried my best to learn it. I just did not have that talent. And I tried again with languages when I was in high school. I tried to uh Learn German. I uh, have a, a few friends who speak German. And I thought, yeah, it would be cool to be able to speak German. Uh, went to college. Thought I'd give Arabic another go. Uh, went to Bolivia. Tried Spanish. And now in China, at this point, I, I'm starting to realize a pattern here. I'm not good at language <laughs> acquisition. So, I, you know, the expression make it till you fake it. So I'm having to use a uh, uh, Google Translator apps or Baidu Translator apps to uh, read menus, uh, get about with signs, and and talk to uh, the the people in my apartment complex.
0: And, and does that does that take? Do you feel like that takes away from your experience, or you're just like, hey, I've I've created sort of a bridge to make myself enjoy myself?
1: I would be that latter. You know, I've I've made a bridge to enjoy myself. Uh, I, yeah. I've tried languages. And, you know, at this point, I'm almost 40. And I'm realizing that you, you got to work with what you got.
0: Yeah, and that's really, really fair. And I, I think that matters. And a concern I, I would guess some people have, because I remember going to France with my, my mom, but I had studied French in university and high school. And they kind of relied on me for the language thing. My, the speaking wasn't perfect, but I could read things. Uh, how, did, how did you deal with sort of, not just, uh, to say healthcare is an issue for you, but like, how would you deal with like if you had maybe a health issue? Like, how would you, wh- what do you think your comfort level would be uh, dealing with a different language and different, dealing with things that, you know, maybe sort of emergency situations?
1: Uh, well, Well, I had an accident before I I came to the States, and I fell off my bike. Not too happy about that, but I separated my clavicle and scapula a little bit. And so, Oh wow! well, yeah, it was was one of those things where it was a, you know, it could go heal by itself, or I could go in and have surgery. And so when I talked to the doctors there, one of the doctors was very vehement about me having surgery and things like that but then another doctor said something kind of offhandedly to them. They got in a little argument and I asked my translator, you know, what did they say? And she didn't really say anything about it. So that, that planted a little seed of doubt in me. And then when uh, I was talking to the nurse the next day, I said, yeah, I'm going to have the operation. And then she said, well, you're, you're going to have to need a, uh, do you have, she asked me if I had any friends there who would be able to, you know, take care of me through the hospital, and you know I, I didn't want to ask any of my coworkers to take some time off to help, so they said, well, you could hire somebody to be with you, and I'm thinking, no, no, I know how anesthesia, uh, how yeah, anesthesia works over there. I know it's not going to be a laparoscopic surgery; they're just going to cut me wide open. So I thought, I'm going to do some research on my own. And I found out that I didn't necessarily have to have the operation right away. It had a chance of healing on its own. And it's been doing pretty well. But going back to the beginning of it, if I was in the States, I was around a doctor who I could talk to, who I and a nursing staff that was a little bit, you know, who who would be able to to listen to me and, and take care of me better. I probably would have had it. So that was, that's one of the differences.
0: Well, and you know, you mentioned something that's uh, worthy of discussion as well as getting around. So in the United States, in most places, if you're outside of maybe uh, the Northeast, most people get around in cars. And so what was your travel and transport like uh, in Bolivia and in China?
1: Well, In Bolivia, it was a lot of cabs. You'd call up the, 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 I remember this very, very clearly. Tropicamba was the taxi company I used. So I'd call them and in the little Spanish I knew, I was able to get a cab to my door and would uh, cab to work or places that I needed to go to. After about the second year there, I just started walking because, you know, you see a lot of people walking around. You don't feel like that's uh, any demeaning status by walking places. And I felt great. I was able to save a little bit of money each week, go out to a restaurant. And in China, it kind of went in a different direction. I would, I would start by doing the cabs again. And then I realized that, hey, man, I'm, I'm getting taken advantage of here. I'm overpaying. So I did buses. I started walking. And then a buddy of mine turned me onto a bike. And so I, I began biking back and forth. And I've really enjoyed it. It's it's a, a great exercise, uh, great stress relief. And it, you just get to, to actually see a part of that culture and mentality of things that you wouldn't if you were in a car the whole time.
0: That's awesome. And so you made a mention about uh, food. Uh, so what, what was it like to uh, to be new to a cuisine? Because like, I've been to China and so I know I, ha- I know what my mindset was entering China. Oh, it's going to be Chinese food like in America. And I, I'm, I'm in South America. And so I had an idea. Oh, well, I know what that's going to be because I have tacos and stuff like that in my head. So well, for you, what was it like to consume new cuisine in those two places?
1: It was very trial and error, Lewis. I mean, yeah, <laughs> if you're not careful with what you eat, ooh, ooh, it could be painful uh just general rule of thumb make sure your food's hot when you get it uh make sure that you see a lot of other people go into the place where you're eating uh and you know have have your comfort foods you can go out you can explore but just make sure that those places you know that are safe and will keep you happy
0: that's fair and i i I totally agree with that like a lot of times i'll figure out uh, things I want or I'll find out uh, a translation of something I like translate it there to find out what it is where so I'm not eating a uh, cow tongue or something like that which I'm sure some people like but for me I'll pass on that
1: <laughs> yeah well, I mean e- e- so even, even then you know you've got some of those foods that uh you wouldn't think you'd like but they might surprise you uh one of the foods that I I enjoy and not a lot of people do is jackfruit it's very close to a fruit called, or is in the same family as a fruit called durian, which is just notorious for its its odor, but I, I enjoy it very much. Uh, there's a, a food called a thousand-year-old egg, which isn't really a thousand-year-old. It's a few months, but it's kind of like an aged egg that they've buried underground. Uh, I've got some people swear by it, but it's not something you're going to see me eat. Right.
0: Yeah, I understand that. And and, and it, it's it's scary because that first time you deal with a stomach issue abroad, you got you do this sort of mental Rolodex of what did I eat? Because one of the things that I remember dealing with uh, when I went to China was with a group and a girl drank some water. Either she had uh, the ice or she drank some water and she was out of commission for like five days. So it's it's a, something that, you know, it's sort of a uh, you're you're on your own risk with those kind of things, yeah, right?
1: We, we dub it Buddha belly is what we dub it. And <laughs> I'll tell you, man, first year, no problems. But then when I started to venture out and get curious, that, that second year was not good to me.
0: Uh, but, but you learned. You and so the I think that year, actually I, helped. i had
1: no problems.
0: Well, and that's brilliant. So it actually, it brings me back to sort of cyclically the comfort of the United States. So being abroad uh like that when there are events that happen in the united states and you're hearing about it sort of a a second or third hand how does that make you feel does it give you a yearning to go back or does it make you think about oh will i escape that like what kind of feelings do you think you get from hearing about things good and bad that happen at home
1: Hmm. well politics is always scary i don't want to really open that egg with you but you, you you hear on the news just a lot of crazy things going on and when you come back to the states you know you, you kind of get this reverse culture shock uh, one of my favorites is when i'm in a grocery store and i'm literally taking about three minutes to figure out what brand of something i want or what variety of something i want because there's so many choices Overseas, it's just one or two options. That's it. You pick. Life goes on.
0: Very true. Very true. And and, and for me, I I think that's interesting because then it kind of makes you choose if you really like the thing or not. And and so being sort of uh, on the American mentality, I, I think Americans in general are very ambitious. I think it's a good quality. It can be double edged, but I think it's a good quality. So I, I asked that question to lead into. How long do you think you would want to be abroad, kind of living the expat life? Is it an an indefinite thing where you don't want to have a timetable or you you just uh, you're like, okay, after this time, I'm coming back?
1: Well, that's the interesting thing. A lot of countries for uh, or or a lot of countries kind of cut off the the time expats have there until they're 60. It's very hard for uh, expats to go overseas after 60 and, and get jobs. Um, so I kind of want to enjoy it as much as I can. Uh, maybe pursue higher education, thinking of terms of uh, teaching in a college. But for right now, I, I don't know. Uh, I'm, I'm really enjoying what I've got. I've got a good thing going. And China's economy is just booming so I'm kind of interested in just riding the ride and seeing where where it goes
0: and and you made a really really good um uh lead into the what what I wanted to ask next is so with career progress what's the potential of the career progression that you have because again just uh, I think ambition is good for life and uh, obviously teachers in the United States the career uh, sort of progression pyramid is classroom teacher and then you can become sort of a, a senior teacher, and then there's the potential of going into administration and then sort of the levels of administration within the school, within the district, et cetera. So what do you feel
1: like the potential career progression you have uh,
0: based on you being uh, a teacher well, abroad? I,
1: I'm, I'm kind of in an, a fortunate situation. We've, we have the International School of Ningbo is, or ISN is fairly new. We're about five years old, and they opened up a boarding school program. Uh, since my background in terms of high school was I was uh, doing boarding school from the, the student perspective, I brought that insight into uh, helping uh, uh, as the, the pastoral care for the boarding students. And so the, the ISN's helping me cut my teeth with uh, administrative stuff by letting me be a um, letting me be the boarding school coordinator which I'm very grateful and thankful that they're, they're, they're you know, letting me do this. Uh, but, yeah, just getting into it and realizing that, yeah, you're, you know, you're teaching overseas, you're traveling, you're seeing the world, but hopefully you're, you're, you're that lifelong learner yourself and you want to progress and go through them. There's, there's no reason why you can't go through those progressions outside of the U.S. as opposed to being in the U.S.,
0: and that's great. So with that, like if someone wanted to find a job you made mentioned earlier, but just to kind of specifically target that uh, if someone wanted to find a job abroad, uh, where would where would they start? Where would they go to find things?
1: Well, uh, like I said, I, I really enjoy the, the tie online. There's another one called uh, Teach Associates. That's really good. Uh, word of mouth is great. If you are uh, on Facebook and you're on the uh, international, uh, international teaching sites, a lot of times you'll see people post jobs uh, or post openings from their schools, and you can get an insight into that more than any website that's there. Uh, a true story. My dad surprised me. So we have a teacher who's going on maternity leave. And I had posted that, hey, we need a temporary uh, art teacher for three months. It's in uh, Ningbo, China. Uh, let me know if you're interested. Well, about three days after I posted that, my director uh, talked talk, talk to me and he said, uh, did you know your dad applied for this position? I said, no, I had no idea. And we talked and chatted for a little bit. And sure enough, my mom and dad are going to be hanging out with me for the three months doing the, uh, the, the, the temporary art teaching position.
0: That's awesome, man. And, and, and you know, it goes to, to, it makes me think about, so what, what, what was sort of your, because your family gonna, is going to be there, you're going to have a chance to sort of be a cool tour guide. So what are some of your favorite places to visit? That you, or that you have visited in Bolivia and specifically now in China?
1: Oh, hmm. Let me think. Well, when I was in, in Bolivia, uh, I got the opportunity to go to Peru and see uh, Machu Picchu. I really liked that. The, the tra- uh, going down the Incan Trail, seeing the ruins, that was just beautiful. Uh, in China, uh, I got to see the Great Wall. And um, I got to spend a lot of time in Shanghai, got to see some really nice sites down in um, uh, Xiamen. Uh, I do a lot of Model United Nations work. And so that, that gave me the opportunity to go uh, visit different places on the school's dime. I got to see uh, Dalian uh, up north, which is be- it's a beautiful coastal town. So traveling's been there. Um, I'm, I'm doing schooling right now which is it is taking a little bit of a financial toll on me. But I think once I get that done, I'd like to start uh, visiting beaches again, going back to some of the hobbies I've liked, like scuba diving, uh, do those things in Philippines and get to travel more outside of China.
0: That's, that's awesome. So in the, in the places that you have, uh, have been and just the experiences, even if it's not necessarily traveling, What's a standout memory that you have from Bolivia and what's one you have from China so far?
1: I would say standout memory from Bolivia is just grilling, Uh, hanging out, doing the Churrascos and just that 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 love that. You find when you're in South America, there's it's a very intense, very community type feeling, and I, I like that. I, I do miss that. Um, in China, it's the any not. I I don't want to say anything goes, but if you, you know, like I say, if if you're out riding your bike or if if you're doing things, there's not that social expectations that you know you have to be this one certain way you can you can be who you are and they're more of an accepting country
0: okay that's cool so I, I have two more uh, uh points or questions that we'll, we'll do and then we'll, we'll, we'll go ahead and start closing up my my, my last my, my first well next to last is what philosophy do you carry uh to help you find success in the journeys you've been on
1: uh like i i I get this from my mom uh when i was leaving the u.s uh mom always had this uh quote that said uh if you see me as i am i will be that and then it says if you see me as i'll become i'll be that and even more and i've always really liked that quote and so when i travel when i work with my students I, i share that with them and i say you know this is who you are right now, but I see so much potential in you. And my job as the teacher is to help you become that I, I firm believer in growth mindset. And I also teach my students, Hey, it, it's all right to fail. That's just proof that you're trying.
0: That's, that's brilliant, man. So, uh, it, it, because of the, the people listening, they may be interested in this, uh, a, a last point, before I I allow you to sort of leave you with your own final thought, Uh, what would be a a good way for someone who wanted to learn more or just want to pick your brain to contact you?
1: Uh, Well, let's see. I'm flattered. I would suggest probably my um, email account would be the best way to do that. It would be uh, steven.more at isningbo.com or um, you can reach me uh, via Facebook. I, I don't mind people friending me and, and hanging out on, on uh, Facebook and talking with me.
0: Awesome. And so when they do Steven, is it S T E P H E N or S T E V E N? Okay. And so uh, as, as we wrap up, I, I love to have uh, the people who give me and give me their time for conversation, uh, leave any final thoughts for, for the people. And so, I appreciate you you having this conversation and giving me a little bit of your time and insight. And so I leave the final word to you. Uh, if you have anything you want to leave the listeners with or just any nuggets of wisdom or just, uh, you know, a nice thing to say, I'll leave that to you.
1: Well, thank you, Lewis. And I really appreciate you having me on this podcast. Uh, I, I love what you do. Keep it up, man. You've got a great thing going on. Uh, if you are a teacher who, is yearning to travel, yearning to explore, yearning for something different, go overseas. I mean, give it a year or two, see if you like it or not. Contracts are usually about two to three years, and then you can decide to move on or stick around if you like it. But if you feel that desire to do it, don't hesitate.
0: That's awesome, man. Well, Elliot, I thank you so much for being on here and uh, I look forward to continuing to talk to you because we obviously have talked uh, throughout the time and uh, have a fantastic day and continued success in all your endeavors.
1: You too, Lewis. You take care, sir.
0: All right.